Welcome to AMFM Radio, a podcast about music for musicians, hosted by New York School of Music. We're ripping back the curtain on music making so you can fearlessly pursue your musical dreams. Hello, everybody, and welcome to our first episode of AMFM Radio. I'm your host, Rosie Ryan Porco, and today I'm here with local music legend of the Hudson Valley, Vito Petrosito. Vito has been spreading joy with his music for decades and in a number of different arenas. He has two of his own bands, Four Guys in Disguise, which, according to my calculations, has been playing for over 30 years, (laughs) and Little Rock, which is a newer project of the Americana genre. He's toured with Sloan Wainwright, Professor Louie and the Chromatics, Frank Gadler of NRBQ, and Riley Weston, just to name a few. He's also open for Jefferson Starship, Montgomery Gentry, Eddie Money, the Doobie Brothers, and NRBQ, also just to name a few. Not to mention the musicians he's just plain gotten the opportunity to play with, Pete Seeger being no small name among those. He owns Studio 1061 in Gardner, New York, records and releases original music and is a producer, and he does commercial songwriting. I'm just skimming the surface here. He's a true professional who's got years in the business, and I'm so happy to have him. Vito, welcome to the inaugural episode of AMFM Radio. Hey, Rosie, thanks for having me. This is wonderful. What a wonderful thing. (laughs) Happy to be here. Thank you so much. Um, So I wanted to start by outlining our biggest goal with this podcast for since all of our listeners will be new and we're new to this and um, our um, biggest goal with this podcast is to break down the barriers that keep musicians from realizing their full potential. For some, this is going to be like professional advice about making it in the music industry. And for others, it's going to be just about how to line up your first guitar lesson, just square one, how to get started. And I wanted to start off with the topic that I think creates the most fear around playing music at any level. And so today's topic uh, is going to be stage fright. Um, I'm so excited to have you on for this episode for a couple of reasons. First of all, it's my first podcast episode and I am experiencing some stage fright. (laughs) But we've known each other for years and you're a good friend, so you put me (laughs) at ease. (laughs) Oh, you're doing so good. This is really this is really terrific. Thanks. Um, and secondly, with all your experience and having a solid local circuit, I felt that this is something you would have some real ideas about. You're often playing for people you know, people you see over and over again. And that adds a different dimension to any stage fright tension that may come up. So I think you've got a lot to offer here. And I just want to thank you again for your time. This is this is great. Oh, you're so welcome. Pleasure. Um. So before we get too far, I do think like a brief introduction to your um, beginnings as a musician is in order. Do you want to give us an idea just of your early performing experience and the feelings that went around um, that just getting started performing live? Yeah, that's a that's a great point. And uh, one of the earliest recollections that I have, uh, I actually picked up the guitar earlier than um than I normally tell people. I mean, I picked up the guitar at about 11 or 12 years old. And um, what happened was, uh, you know, I was tinkering around on this instrument. I had nothing, you know, I didn't know what, um, 
it was all about, but I had some kind of talent, some kind of something was happening. I was touching the instrument and sounds, pleasing sounds to me were coming out of this instrument. I didn't, I didn't know what I was doing. Uh, up to that point, I had experience in school bands playing trumpet and reading music in the whole, you know, and that was great. Uh, but the guitar, there was something about the guitar that wowed me. Um, uh, school concerts, of course, you know, prior to this, you, you'd play for your, you know, moms and dads in the audience and stuff. And it wasn't, uh, and you were surrounded by like, you know, a hundred musicians around you. So right. you had not a lot of fear and, and, um, you know, if I didn't have the part rehearsed or whatever, uh, you know, I was totally guilty sometimes of being like, you know, sitting second chair in the trumpet section and not even playing, you know, and, and letting, <laughs> but, uh, but getting back to that guitar moment, uh, you know, I, I was having a good time on it. And then all of a sudden, I mean, I had this original tune. I, I can remember this. And, and there was a family reunion in the backyard that day. And somebody, either my older brother or somebody suggested, hey, Vito, you know, why don't you play the, you know, play everybody your new song, man. Right. And I was like, yeah. And it seemed like a great idea to me. And I was really I was like, really? I mean, do I get to play that for everybody? I mean, what's going to happen? I had no idea what was going to happen. Um, and, and there was no. So in other words, at this point, there was no such thing as stage fright because I had no idea what this experience would give me. So mm -hmm. I start playing my original tune, which was just this little rhythmic, rhythmical thing. And it was kind of cool, you know, because it was mid 70s and it was really cool. Um, but the, my family started laughing. Oh, <laughs> and, but the laughing, you know, the laughing to, uh, you know, the laughing on their end of things was how adorable is this? Look at Vito, you know, he's got this guitar. This is really cool. You know, they were on another planet altogether from what I saw the laughter ass, you know, here right. I am seeing the laughter and, and it was almost like one of those TV movies where, you know, it goes into slow motion and everyone's laughing up. <laughs> <laughs> you know, right. you know, it's like, oh, my. So I was having, uh, you know, I was having a nightmare. I was like, oh, my God, they're laughing at me. They, oh, you know, no. I took the laughter as, oh, my God, you know, don't quit your day job kind of thing. Or, right. you know, you have no business playing that thing. So I quit right then and there. Twelve years old. I left it until until I was about a little late 14 year old, you know, like so two years. Wow. I was off that guitar because of that moment. Wow. Uh, so it was scary. That was a scary moment. And right. and what and what that set up, what that set up was the next 40 years of stage fright, you know, uh, in me. I still get stage fright to this day. Right. And uh, you can interpret the feedback you're getting from your audience, sometimes perhaps incorrectly. They can set the stage for tension, you know, down the line. I found that I'm always wrong in that. You know, like I, I remember playing, uh, we were playing at a local place, uh, the four guys in disguise, and we were playing song after song and we're knocking it out of the park. We're really doing great. We're having, a, but there's this one couple down in front of me and they're talking to each other in between songs and like they're making frowns and funny faces. And I'm like, hmm. and I started taking it totally the wrong way. Yeah. So the lesson here is like, do not try to interpret what the audience is thinking. Right. You know, I don't, I, I shouldn't, I had no business just, I put, so what I put together was, oh my God, this couple doesn't like us. And they think that we're horrible, you know, and we're not playing good mm -hmm. music. 
So on the break, I made a point of going right up to that table <laughs> and confronting them about it. And I said, listen, you know, it looks like you guys are eating like sour something. And, you know, like, are, are we not pleasing you? You know, what? And the couple was mortified and they were like, oh, no, that's not, you know, we, we were trying to name the artist of the song and we were trying to name the songs. It's your set list is so great and obscure uh... that we, you know, we were quizzing ourselves and having a fun time. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> so my took my foot out of my mouth yet again and right. moved on. But so you should really I think, you know, if if I were to teach myself something right here and now. Uh, it's don't do not try to read the audience in that way. You never know what they're thinking. Right. Well, this and this is great because we're starting right from the foundation here that a lot of what stage fright is built on is yeah. just plain not true. Right. Mm -hmm. So something great we point. talk to the kids about at New York School of Music is how a lot of the fear is based on just plain fake things you think that there's like certain expectations, you think you're getting certain feedback from the audience, you think you look a certain way or it's going a certain way, yeah. you start to think negative thoughts, it creates a negative cycle. And 99.999% of the time, almost none of that is true. Oh, I tend to think sometimes that the audience, I'm playing a song of mine that I wrote, let's say, and it's got a certain tempo that I wrote it at. And I might, I might even write the tempo down and then just kind of keep it. And maybe if I'm playing with a drummer that knows the tempo, he'll give me the tempo before we do the song. Mm -hmm. We'll be in the song and I'm thinking, I'm reading the audience again and I'm reading it wrong, thinking, oh my God, they're bored with this song. So if it starts out at 85 beats per minute, uh, it winds up at about a buck 15, like 115 <laughs> beats per minute because I want right. to rush and get my song over with because they're disapproving. But sure. that's in my mind. They didn't say that. Right. So it's taken me years to get over that. And now now I deliver a song and I'm going to deliver it at the tempo I wrote it. I'm No matter what, I don't care. I'm, I'm driving my song home the way it was supposed to be. Uh, no matter what my brain is thinking, and, you know, the audience, I don't know what they're thinking. So I, and I'm going to leave it that way, you know, but for years, I always thought I could tell what the audience was thinking, you know, and that's just a big mistake of my, of my of my own. Right. Yeah, I hear you. And that actually leads me into the next thing I want to talk about is just, is this something you still deal with? Yeah, I, I wrestle with that. I wrestle with. Uh, so it's kind of like, uh, you know, when you're a songwriter or a performer or, a, you know, and it could be a vocalist, could be whatever you are in the performance arena. Uh, you're vulnerable. You're open. You're you're wide open for the mm -hmm. people. You might as well be, you know, kind of uh, stripped down on stage. It's just really, you know, you're you're vulnerable. This is uh, um and you've got to take care of yourself. Like I, I, I now end up taking care of myself. And what does that mean? Well, you know, there's, uh, you know, I'll definitely try to get myself into a zone before the performance, mm -hmm. like where I take, uh, I'll take a good half hour, 45 minutes to as much time as I'm, uh, I'm given before a performance to get into my own, you know, little safe zone. Like, all right, the, your feet are connected to the ground. You're going to take mm -hmm. the stage 
your feet are still going to be connected to the ground when you're in front of that microphone. So your right. feet, your feet, the roots, you know, I, I, I often get into my feet and I've heard a lot of people talk about this too. Like you're rooted on the stage. Sure. Um, yeah. I want to get into some, I guess you could call them coping mechanisms yeah, in a yeah. minute. Um, but first I wanted to talk a little bit about, um, if you thought there was a difference between the stage fright that more seasoned musicians deal with and what new musicians deal with, do you think it's changed over time or do you think it's like the same little monster that just keeps coming back? What a great question. Such a great question. And, and, and you mentioned the right word too, monster, you know, cause that's pretty much what it is. Uh, uh, but it doesn't have to be, you know, if we can, if we can wrap our, you know, if we can come up with coping mechanisms to kind of, you know, uh, to uh, subdue the monster, let's say, or at least lighten it up a little bit. It doesn't have to be as heavy mm -hmm. all the time. Um, so, but co the comparison, I find that it's, they are equally intense. They are sure. equally intense, but for different reasons, right? So you're, you're early on, early on, it just might be uh, getting up and playing. I remember playing my first little concert on guitar in front of my peers in high school. Mm -hmm. So I was back on the guitar after that two-year period. I was back on the guitar. And my art teacher in high school, Nick Lamangino, uh, said, hey, man, I'm having this art happening. And, and the art happening was, it was, it was a whole day of school that if you were an art student of Nick Lamangino's, you got to take the whole day off. So it was like nice. really cool. And we drew things and there was music. And he always played like, Bob Dylan records and Harry Nielsen records, Lime and the Coconut. And it was hilarious. It was, <laughs> it was an art happening. And he would, uh, he would cover the windows and put up special lighting. It wasn't like a classroom. It was really cool. Well, he, uh, he, he said, listen, my friend, Raphael Mark, Raphael Mark was, uh, you know, at the Dutchess County Fair, they have the Raphael search for talent. Mm -hmm. So Raphael is Raphael Mark, right? So he says, wow. I got my friend Raphael and he was a radio uh, DJ at WELK and he had some very successful radio shows over the years. He was very uh, monumental influence in the whole area for radio and, and uh, he was going to play clarinet at the art happening. Hmm. And he says, why don't you bring your guitar and play with Raphael Mark? And I'm like, no, I don't want to do that. Uh, besides, it's in front of my peers and stuff. But I wound up bringing it. I had the guts uh, for some reason. I, just because I trusted Nick and mm -hmm. I trusted Raphael Mark. And it was a beautiful moment in my life because I actually played for my peers. And my peers, you know, kids my age in high school had nothing but great things to say about what I had done. And I think I played a little bit of Stairway to Heaven. I played a little bit of whatever. And then we jammed like he says, well, do you know the blues? And I'm like, I don't know. You know, <laughs> I don't know if <laughs> right. I know the blues, uh, but we had a fun time. Uh, and those two gentlemen, uh, my teacher and Raphael Mark, who basically another teacher of mine um, helped me, uh, you know, took me under their wing in that moment. Mm -hmm. and made it comfortable for me uh you know so but man was i scared i was i was really scared to but i jump off the cliff you know in that right. in that case so you know i don't know i'm rambling now but no i well and i like that story because i think actually something that happens i myself have also performed from a pretty young age 
And, um, you know, when, when you're younger and there are those people that are willing to take you under their wing, it just, it just takes the edge off of that stage fright a little bit because you've, you're surrounded by people who really know what they're doing. And you're kind of like, all right, if these guys are up here, I can just kind of like blend in and do my thing. And, um, you're kind of hitting on something that I hadn't thought of before that maybe is a really great way if you can manage it to like give yourself practice performing is to try and get in with people that are more seasoned than you, but that you trust and you feel comfortable with. Right. So like if, if you have a teacher that also gigs, which most do asking, can I sit in sometime, you know, once I'm ready, you let me know, you know, like, can I just, just to see what it's like, because it's just plain not so scary when you've got that company around, you know, when I was a teenager, I was lucky enough to be asked to sit in with some of the Woodstock heavy hitters just because um, I knew them through my high school, going to school in the area. So Betty McDonald was the biggest one. She oh, would just wow. throw me on stage all the time, and, uh, which was terrifying because these were <laughs> like major jazz guys. That's incredible. Absolutely. Oh, <laughs> my, my jazz God. theory still sucks. <laughs> so like, <laughs> I just, you know, you just had to go for it. But, but surrounding yourself with people that, um, have just been doing it for a really long time and they're really comfortable makes you feel really comfortable. And so that's, that's probably something that um, would be good to try and line up for yourself. Once you are trying to break into performing is see if there's anyone who would just let you sit in a little bit, just to kind of get your feet wet amongst people that are really comfortable in what they're doing. Um, And that's, that, that's an advantage that uh, learners per se have once we're more seasoned and we're supposed to be the seasoned ones, I actually find the stage fright much harder <laughs> to deal with because then you're supposed to be in charge, <laughs> right? <laughs> and you're supposed to know what you're doing. And so I think you are illustrating kind of like the difference there is like, you know, when you're a beginner, it's more just the fear of the unknown, but you know, it, it can help to get in with people that really know what they're doing. And then later, it's like a, a self-confidence thing. It's like, okay, now it's my turn to drive and I have to put myself in a headspace where I can do that and I can make the musicians around me comfortable. So that brings us right into these coping mechanisms. So specifically, do you have anything that you do pre-show, during a show, or even in that horrible, I call it the roller skate moment where your arms flail and you almost fall down, <laughs> right? Like Love when that. the band almost loses it. Yeah. And, and, and how do you regain your presence on stage, right? When something like that has happened so you can continue successfully throw some thoughts at me there. Uh, so, uh, like, yeah. So the, the preparation begins, let's say if there's a big gig, uh, let's say if there's a big, like I recently played a couple falls ago, I played, uh, I, I was picked to be front man for the Parker Brothers extravaganza. The Parker Brothers are a bunch of drummers from Woodstock. They're a bunch of great guys, but have gone on to play with the likes of uh, the Brecker Brothers, uh, Joe Cocker, um, Orleans, Bonnie Ray. You know, these guys have played for everybody, uh, some big heavy hitters. So speaking of heavy hitters. So the group that I was picked to front was, I mean, Tony Levin on bass, Pete Levin on B3. Chris and Eric, Eric Parker on double drums and myself on guitar and singing. Uh, And I was the front man of this group. And Mm -hmm. uh, so I was like a little blown away by the fact that I was picked for this anyway. And they explained to me, 
uh, weeks later why I was picked. And it's because I, I'm a great player. I'm a great entertainer. I'm a great guy. I'm level-headed. I'm kind of, you know, so these are massive pros picking anybody they can choose anybody. They, and they went to me. So rather than let my mind get into that, Oh my God, why me? Like I, I got away from that immediately. Good. And I said, well, right. they picked me, so I'm going there. So, mm-hmm. and, and what I'm talking about is the preparation for that type of gig that a big gig coming, you know? So I started preparing for that gig two months in advance, you know, like, so getting my act together, uh, before I even reached rehearsals, we didn't even start rehearsals yet. And I'm preparing myself. Right. Uh, and, and with the preparation came, I mean, it was automatic. The, the mental preparation was automatic. I, I feel one thing that I learned in the last few years and a shame that it took me all this time. And hopefully your listeners will learn way earlier than me. <laughs> uh, but you know, f- you know, 40 years in music or something, and all of a sudden it dawned on me like, Hey, the better prepared you are, the less fear you'll feel, you know, I'm right. like, wow. Okay. So that makes sense. So I did. And then I went to the rehearsals and um, I couldn't believe who I was playing with. I tried not to let that get into my head either. You know, that I'm standing on stage next to Tony Levin, who's played bass for John Lennon, Paul Simon. You know, they both toured Paul Simon, uh, you know, Luciano Pavarotti, Peter Gabriel, you know, King Crimson, you name it. These people have been around the world. Mm -hmm. stories. I'm like, you got to be kidding. Um, (laughs) And but I had a good time. I, I, I didn't think of that. Oh my God, these guys. Oh my God. These are big stars. Okay. I don't care. I'm prepared mm-hmm. and I'm going to play what Vito plays. I'm just going to play my instrument. So, uh, but that night, I remember that night. So I'm kind of going through the coping mechanisms. So the first coping uh, mechanism would be prepare, start to prepare. Second one is more of a physical thing. Uh, earlier that day, you know, I, I like to do yoga, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and yoga. So whether it be meditation or yoga or something to kind of calm you down. And I started doing this. Uh, I was touring with a, uh, a bunch of people uh, about, I don't know, mid 2000s. I was touring with a lot of people around the United States. And I was frightened. I, you know, would get into these house concerts, prestigious house concerts all over the United States. This was in the folk vein of music and, um, and, and, and it might've been in a house, you know, and a limited audience, but it mm-hmm. was still scary nonetheless, you know, oh, so, sure. you know, that's where I developed the yoga. All right, I'm just going to do some yoga and just kind of mm-hmm. calm down. You know, I also take my moment before I get on stage and I, um, and I learned this from a fella named Greg Greenway, who is a world renowned folk, uh, artist and a wonderful performer, wonderful guy. Uh, but he says, you know, when I'm warming up, you know, I'm in the green room, let's say, or or uh, it could be a room. You know, if you're playing a backyard party, it could be a room in the house. Right. That you take your guitar or instrument uh, into another room where there's no one, you know, and you kind of you're tuning up or whatever and you're practicing some songs or something. But he practices with his face into the corner really? with, his, with his back to the room so that if somebody enters that room, you've got your back to that person. And it's almost like a signal where they, they're not going to bother you too much. And he and he's right. It, he uh, he gave me that little hint, you know. It can be hard to get some privacy on the road when you need it, a moment like that. Yeah. Very, yeah. So he kind of, uh, you know, that's a, that's a time to get snippy and, and a little bit selfish, you know, sure. like and you put your face in that corner and you start doing that. And then a breathing thing, mm-hmm. a breathing thing is more, you know, so right before I hit the stage, my guitar is tuned, you know, and 
I'm going to breathe right. uh, as, as, as beautifully, gracefully, and as deeply as I can get some oxygen in me, you know, mm-hmm. and, and then think about the, think of, you know, I don't think about what's going to happen in the performance. I don't think about the crowd anymore. I don't think about, I, I think about, I, I'm really happy that I'm back to the basics, which is to enjoy the music. I mean, right. I, I'm going to play this music that we prepared and I'm going to play it to the best of my ability. Sure. Well, you, yeah, you hit on two big points that were also in my head. Um, the preparation is just so key. And I think that um, you can really sort of use that as an umbrella term for a lot of the things you just talked about. Correct. Yeah. So there's just plain practicing, which means that you know the music as well as possible. And that just feels good. You know, you feel good going into an opportunity when you know you've prepared and you know you've got this music at your fingertips. But then the other things you're talking about are still preparation. You're preparing your body. You know, it's it's a real scientific biological thing we deal with. Your adrenaline kicks up. You can, you know, start to feel warm. Some people get lightheaded. Some people start to go numb, Part, you yeah. know, numb legs, like you are talking about staying grounded before. And so all of this breathing yoga, finding a quiet space. It's all preparation. You prepare the music, but you also have to prepare yourself, you know, mentally and physically for this experience. And then what I find is that the preparation starts a positive cycle. And this is the next thing I wanted to talk to you about was just positive and negative cycles. You can have something happen on stage that starts a negative cycle because it starts negative thoughts and then you're distracted. You make another mistake. It starts more negative thoughts. And then that's when what a lot of us in the biz call snowball or, yeah, yeah. or a train wreck happens. Yeah, train wreck right? is coming. Yeah, yeah, it's coming. Yeah, and we've all been there. I'm thinking of one right now that's particularly hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing how they come back in your memory. Like you could oh. actually... You um, could go back. I don't care what year it is. You know, you could go back to that. I'll year. never forget that rendition of Working Man Blues. <laughs> I'll tell you what. <laughs> so, so anyway, uh, so so yes, we have these negative cycles that can happen, but way more important is to set up positive cycles first, because yeah. then it's much harder for these negative cycles to get through. Any little like hiccups or whatever that happen along the way just kind of bounce off you because you've got these positive cycles going on. And you were talking about feeling prepared, being able to say to yourself, I'm a great guitar player. They picked me because I'm good at this. You know, I know my strengths. I am good at playing guitar. I'm good at being a front man. I'm good at singing. I'm good at being a band leader. And so I feel good about this and I'm going to go out and do my thing. And I think that if you're not already in the habit of performing, that can feel really contrived and maybe like something you shouldn't do. Like you shouldn't, maybe it lacks humility or, yeah, you know, it seems rude to be too like proud of yourself. But 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 I think if we honor it, we have to honor that Mm -hmm. and and worship that moment, you know, no matter, all right, we were picked, you know, like, Mm -hmm. all right. Whether, whether you're just starting out or a season, Yeah. And if you're a beginner, maybe your teacher has told you like, it's time, try it. Or you just kind of heard a voice in your head that says, you know what, it's time to try an open mic and to trust yourself that like, you're ready, you've prepared and you're good at this. It creates a positive cycle and your audience picks up on that because they see your confidence and conviction 
And that leads to just good energy in the room and things yeah. start to head the right direction. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. uh, there's another thing that I wanted to touch on. Like mm-hmm. one of my coping mechanisms is to uh, not be around people that not, I don't want, how do I put this? Uh, let's, let's say for lack of another uh, phrase, uh, get me excited. And it might not mm-hmm. be get me excited in a, in a positive way. Mm-hmm. It might be negative. You know, like, let's say if you have, like I have a friend and he, he's used to bouncing off walls. You know, and if he's around me before my performance, he gets me bouncing off the walls. He gets me. I'm so distracted. I don't even know what I'm about to do. And I remember the moment where he's at this show. I have a sold out show at the old Boodles Opera House in Chester. Right. So I was opening up for a comedian and we sold out the show, but they were all my people. And and a comedian insisted that, okay, well, now I'm going to open for Vito. Yeah, listen, we're going to switch this around. These are all your people. We're switching. You're going to be the feature. I'm like, okay. Uh So he's going to get up and do 35 minutes as opposed to 75 minutes. And and it's my, so it's my show. And I'm like, wow, this is, this is, this is big. It was like one of my first solo shows that I've got all of Boodle's Opera House concentrating, uh, hearing every nook and cranny of what I have to offer. Mm -hmm. And my friend is there. So it's before the show. And he's, he's getting me nuts. He's like, we're at a table and we're listening to the comedian. And my, my friend is just like in my ear and like, really, I mean, I'm, I'm shaking. I'm actually nervous shaking because of him. Not Too much because energy. Of... So that was the first time that I stood up and walked away from my table, which, you know, my, my former wife was there. All of our friends and family were there. Mm-hmm. And I walked away from the table and went down to the men's room. And stayed there until I went on, mm-hmm. you know, because I had to get him away. So that just to just to, you know, dwindle on that, you know, making time and space for yourself before the performance, you know, yeah. and, and maybe keep somebody like that away from you. Yeah. Being conscious of your energies before yeah. you hit the stage is really important, you know, and uh, and I think most people who know artists respect that they know, like, OK, you know, if I was about to get on stage, I wouldn't want to be freaking out right now. So, like. I would probably want some chill time. You know, most people understand that. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with trying to like find some space, clear your head, you know? Um, And that's part of that preparation. Cause if you didn't, and you just took all that nervous energy and just hit the stage at 80 miles an hour, (laughs) (laughs) we all know what happens, how how that goes. (laughs) So definitely being mindful of your energy set up ahead of time is, yeah, that's key. Um, So, The next place I want to go, um, and there's another reason I wanted to have you on, is that you're a teacher. You have students. You've had many students. Mm -hmm. You had uh, a little kid named Tim a long time ago who (laughs) I ended up up marrying. Little kid named Tim. (laughs) (laughs) So, So talk to me about how you talk to them about stage fright, not when you're coaching yourself through it necessarily, but how you talk to aspiring musicians, you know, through yeah. this. Um, I, I often mention uh, uh, another thing I want to add is water, a lot of water. Oh, yes. H2O. Mm-hmm. You can't get enough of it. Mm-hmm. You know, but anyway, uh, on to, you know, the advice I, I uh, you know, I always mention our inner critics. Mm-hmm. You know, the inner critic is just your other self in inside of you, you know. So my students... I always try to make that 
uh, or, or bring that to the light so that they know that there's someone in there saying, you know, I, I wrestle with my inner critic and my inner critic, my veto, the inner critic tells me all the time that, you know, you have no business being on the stage or, you know, you have no. So I try, I try to tell my students, like, if we can just kind of uh, let him take, let he or she take the night off. Right. Like, let's get rid of that person for the, a night and, and, and throw caution to the wind and do what, you know, and just have some fun with it as opposed to the inner critic, uh, critic uh, putting you in the corner, you know, of the room and terrorizing you, you know, mm -hmm. so switch it around, grab the inner critic and put them in the corner and Hey, you're going to stay here until later. And I will check in later. You can tell me all you want later, but you know, right now we're just going to, going to table you. Um, yeah. And then uh, like, as far as uh, advice is like a, you know, the young Tim or uh, my students, um, I, I'm, I'm telling them pretty much what we're talking about. I mean, we've covered a lot of what, what I would, uh, what I would definitely go. Uh, 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 but another big thing that I would tell my uh, students is like, you know, not to have the word can't in your mind. Sure. You know, don't let anyone convince you that you can't do what, you know, uh, and, and we got to get back to the enjoyment, you know, like, uh, a lot of that fear and a lot of that stage fright tends to take the enjoyment from the moment, you know, like, uh, whether you're playing with the school band at the, the concert that night or, or hitting, uh, you know, the, one of the local breweries or wineries or one of the local, you know, prestigious stages, you know, like I, I get, I get stage fright when I hear the, the stage, you know, like what stage is it? You know, mm -hmm. I had the pleasure of playing the Stan Rogers folk festival with, uh, with Sloan Wayne, right. Right. Uh, that was like some July 4th weekend back in 2006 or something like that. But man, that was like, I mean, Stan Rogers folk festival is big. That's a big annual gig. And mm -hmm. here I am on the bill, uh, Sarah Lee Guthrie and, uh, you know, there was, there was a million people on that, on that. I was, couldn't believe it. Lee boys, you know, it was, a, it was a big event. And, uh, yeah. but I still got up and I, I still got, got up and did my thing because I was, I was there to do a job and, mm -hmm. uh, and I tried to just breathe, get the breathe. Cause I, I do want to enjoy it. I want to savor it. Right. When I was a little kid, I looked at a four hour gig and I wanted it to get by, go by really quick, like 45 minutes to feel like 45 minutes. Right. Now I at a 45 minute set and wish that it would last for four hours. I'm totally on the other end of it now. Right. Well, and that has a lot to do with the preparation too. If you feel confident in what you're playing, then you can just enjoy it. You can sit back. You're not micromanaging every little movement. And, you know, I, <laughs> I admittedly hate practicing, but I know <laughs> that I will have the best gig possible if I put the time in so that I don't get that moment on stage where I feel like, oh, I don't know this next part as well as I should. It's a it's a miracle when that happens, like when you have prepared and that let's say, you know, bar 32 is coming up and, you know, it's like it's a rough section of like six bars that 32 through 38 is like really rough, you know, mm -hmm. and it's like but when you have practiced it, it is a miracle when you start bopping through those measures performing and still and being you know aware of where your your surroundings and you're mm -hmm. having fun and the tempo is correct that's a miracle you know because i look at practicing like oh it's really not gonna work it's like it's like me you know trying to lose weight it's like oh, i'm <laughs> gonna try this diet no it's not gonna work but 
listen, if you really put your, if, you know, put all, all, you know, cross all your T's and dot all your I's and do the work. uh, It's amazing. The pounds start dropping off and and (laughs) back to practice for music. You've practiced that, that section and you've got it. So when you get on the gig, it's like, and it goes by in a heartbeat and, but you've done it. You did it really good. So students, you know, um, I try to be as careful as I can with giving advice to students. I, I just care about them so much. I care about anyone that performs. I mean, you don't even have to be my student and my heart is with you already. I don't even know you, let's say. And uh, my heart is with you and I am there in spirit, <laughs> you know, uh, and I don't, I, this could be a kid out in Ohio right now. That's going to play <laughs> this Friday night somewhere or something. You know, I'm like, I'm with you. Uh, I, think- I have such a passion. That's a really important thing to remember too. If you feel like an outsider from of the music world, if you feel like you don't really belong yet, you think that everyone that's already in maybe doesn't want you there or thinks you can't do it. And that's just a totally made up thing. The, you know, sure, you'll run into a cranky person every once in a while, but the vast majority of musicians wish for the success of other musicians at any level. Yeah. And uh and most of the time, they're just happy to see you there. They're happy to see someone trying. And if you put the work in and prepare something nice and obviously just put your best foot forward, how well it actually goes could be anything. You know, it, it could go quite well. It could be a little rocky, but everyone's going to see the effort you put in. And that's much more what they remember than if you had any like hiccups you know they'll remember if you got up there and you had good posture and stood confidently and smiled and tried to deliver well they're going to remember that much more than they remember that you dropped a beat in the bridge you know yeah um you know i I, i'll refer to sloan again i've i've just learned a lot from sloan wainwright she's a wonderful performer human being she's just a beautiful person in my life and i'm so thankful to have crossed paths with her but, uh, you know, it, as far as the hiccups go, she would always say, like, nothing to 200 gigs won't cure. You know, that, I'm like <laughs> that was my other thing. So we have a few things that we already tell the kids at the music school. And I just wanted to, like, hear your reactions to them. But one of them is just like repetition. It's just like, OK, if you think you're ready to start playing, don't just like sign up for one open mic, like book yourself for like a coffee house once a week for the next two months and see what happens. It takes the pressure off the one performance because you've got tons of them. You're just practicing and they're low, they're low pressure to book lots of low pressure gigs, you know, a farmer's market where people are only half listening or, you know, um, and that's what we do at the school. Rather than having one big annual recital, we have showcases every month. So if the kids want to play, they can play 10, 12 times a year. And so each one just plain isn't so scary. And I think that that's more accurate because once you're a pro, you're playing all the time. So, you know, yes, certain gigs may carry more weight or there's important people there and you want to impress them and there's space for that. But mostly there's lots of opportunities. And if something in one doesn't go quite right, it's not a disaster. You know, there's always the next gig. And you can laugh about it and the people still love you because you're laughing at yourself. They're laughing with you. And then you just go about your business, you know, third Friday of every month. Yep. Virtual den. Yeah. (laughs) The den. (laughs) So 
So we've been talking a while and I really appreciate the time. We've hit so many good things here. I am going to wrap up some of what we talked about into a blog post and then cool. hopefully a YouTube video shortly after so that you can get this content in a lot of different ways. Great. Um, did you have any like final thoughts before yeah. we wrap this up? My, my final thought is an acronym that I learned a long time ago. Great. Uh, fear <laughs> is forgetting everything's all right. Right. Yeah. Keep or or excitement without oxygen. I've heard it explained like that too. Mm -hmm. It's excitement without oxygen or whatever. But sure. um, and my parting words is just uh, let's do this. You know, with the with the pandemic and all, mm -hmm. it's really made me focus even more so on how important we all are. And I don't care what level musician you're. You you, you could be just starting, or you'd be a seasoned pro. This performing thing or bringing music to people. Uh, has uh, the importance has really, I mean, it's gigantic for me to, to have, uh, you know, like in this, in this situation that we're all in. So we've, we need Absolutely. to be to the people. We really do. Yeah. People really need it. Um, yeah. And, and we need each other. Shows the beauty. You know, yeah. we've got, this is a beautiful thing. So. Yep. Well, um, our goal is to get as many people playing music as possible. That's our big You're thing. amazing. I think Thank the you. New York School of Music is amazing. I think that your family, uh, uh, you know, and I, Rosie, you know, hats off to you and Tim. Um, Thank you. It, it's just an amazing thing. And, you know, your, your new parents and stuff, too. And, and let's not forget about Coco. You know, this is crazy. You, you guys got a lot on your plate, you know. Um, so God bless you and keep up the good work. It's great. Thank you so much. All right, Vito. Well, we will hopefully have you on again at some point in the future. That'd but for great. now, we'll sign off. Thank you so much for being here with us. And uh, stay tuned for our next podcast episode. We'll be releasing our next episode in the beginning of March. We will be talking about marketing in the music industry. And we will have a special guest coming up for that. Um, thank you so much. We'll talk to you again soon. You're listening to AMFM Radio, the podcast about music for musicians. Our music is original song Daisy by Eddie Ryan. Search Eddie Ryan, that's R-I-O-N, on YouTube for more original music. This podcast was brought to you by New York School of Music in Walden, New York. Changing tomorrow's music industry by changing how we train musicians today. See you next time. And when we're here to say.